Well, we're at the midway point of our study of the book of Ephesians today. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter three, we'll finish that chapter. And then we're gonna take just a little bit of a break over the next few weeks uh, and get ready for what God might be doing in our lives in the fall. And we'll have a couple of things to kind of get ready for in the fall. And then we're right into Global Focus, which is our missions emphasis. If you were here in our first service, you would have seen we were filled up with folks who work at Lighthouse Christian Camp, which is one of our original Global Focus mission partnerships. When we started Global Focus, uh, we started with Lighthouse Christian Camp and it was great to have them here. They've had a wonderful summer. Many of you uh, have served and been a part of that mission opportunity. And some of you know that we've had multiple uh, weeks where kids have been saved. And it's just been great to see that, how God has blessed that partnership in the gospel with Lighthouse Christian Camp. And I'm so grateful for them. Now, last week, as we were in Ephesians 3, we were talking about this prayer that the Apostle Paul had started praying in the very first part of the chapter when he kind of got sidetracked and said, now here's some things you need to know about what God's doing. But you remember last week, we saw this prayer that he prayed for that church and by extension prays for us as the universal church. And he prayed four specific things. First, that we would be strengthened and don't we need the strength of the Lord this morning? We do need that. And so I'm grateful to know that that's a great prayer for us to pray every week is that we would be strengthened. And then he prayed that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we would just continually let the Lord inhabit our hearts, that we would grow in that and that we would sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and that we would know that. And then he said that we would know his love. And you remember my illustration about my friend who was adopted and what a, a difference a year makes in his life, having been adopted to know the love of parents. And when we know the love of Christ, it absolutely changes our lives. It changes our relationship to God. And so the more that we can know that love, the deeper our relationship with the Lord goes. And then you guys, of course, remember the one about being filled, because that's the only one y'all have talked to me about, is because I said that it's impossible for you to be filled up with certain meals like fish and broccoli. And many of you challenged me and said, I can't believe you don't like fish. Listen better. I didn't say I don't like fish. I just said you can't be filled up on it. It's impossible. And I proved it this week because some of you who were giving me a hard time of it came to my house and said, guess what we had for dinner tonight, Pastor? We had fish and broccoli. And then you went right over and engorged yourself on cake and ice cream. So there you go. Point proven. What's the point of being filled? It's that God would fill us up and that we would really know that and that we would understand the fullness of God in our lives, which we can't exhaust. But that was his prayer for us. And out of that prayer comes a doxology. What's a doxology? Well, you sang one just a minute ago and you might not have realized it. When we were singing that song, 10,000 Reasons, we stopped in the middle of it and we sang what is commonly known as the doxology, which is, it's kind of a shame because it's not really the doxology. There are doxologies, right? And this is what we're going to read. It happens to be one of them. There are several in scripture, but we sang the doxology as we refer to it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below, right? That's a doxology. And, and maybe, how, let me just, let, let's get a quick, we're gonna test your Baptistness here for just a second. How many of you grew up singing the doxology every week, whether you need it or not? Give me a, there you go. Well, we're not bringing it back. But I just wanted, 
I just wanted to do it because I did too. Like it, I pastored a church that had that. Our pianist, when we took the offering, our pianist would hit these chords and everyone just stood up. And if you weren't part of the church, well, what's going on? What are we doing? Because it, it wasn't part of our worship service in the bulletin. It was just, we did it every week. We sang that doxology. It was a praise. We're reading a doxology now that comes because of a prayer that Paul has prayed for this church and therefore by extension us. And as he prays that prayer, he stops and says, I've just got to praise God for a minute. And I want to lead you in this. And he does that so beautifully for us. The word doxology comes from a root word that that just means glory. It is what it means. And so it's giving God glory right here in this. So I want to read this for us. It's just two verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Now there's three things that I want you to see from this doxology. There are two statements that the apostle Paul makes for us that are pretty important. And I think there's a question sandwiched in between these two statements for us about our own prayer lives because of something that he says here. And, and, and you may have run right by and said, well, I don't really see a question, but I think it's, it's kind of laying there for us to answer this morning. So the first thing that I want you to see is this great statement that he makes as he starts when he says, now to him who is able. Now this is a powerful praise statement about God's power that he's making. And it's a little bit lost in our translation because our translation that we read this morning says, now to him who is able, but this is the same word that we read a little bit later in the verse that says power. And we've actually seen this word in chapter one, as he's talked about this, about God's power in us. And I want to read that for us just to remind you from Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 and 19. He says, I'm praying the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power that he says right there, toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So when he says to our God who is able, what he's saying is to our God who is powerful to our God who is able to bring it about. Now we believe that we serve a God that is different than all the other gods that people worship today because he's not a God made by human hands. He's not fashioned out of wood and stone. He's not like the idols that people worship where they can't speak, they can't hear, they're unable to act. Our God is able. And that's a differentiator for us because he is able. It gives us confidence and we see that his power is working and that causes us to praise him. Now, the power that is towards us, the apostle has been saying in chapter one, all of these things are for you and I want you to see God's power that's at work in you. And in chapter two, he says this power's on display. And in chapter three, he says the power's on display through the church as he's fashioned this church from many nations and many peoples. And he says, if you lack any kind of confidence in this power, all you have to do is look at yourself because it's the power that was at work in you to change you from death to life. 
It's the power that changes you to be more like Christ. God's power has been changing us from the inside out. And he says that this is the power that God has. He's able to do something. God's not unable to affect our lives. It's not as if he's lacking power. And so he reminds us of that and says, that's a reason for us this morning to praise God because he's able to do it. Our God is able and we lose sight of that so many times. He said, well, what do you mean I lose sight of that? Now, I know you wouldn't do this, but I want you to think about somebody who would do this. And the reason I say you wouldn't do this is I don't want you to feel all bad about yourself and stuff this morning because you definitely would do this. But you just think about somebody else who would do this. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, there's just no hope for them? No hope for them. Is that because God can't do anything about it? It's... Are, are you saying that God is not able to change someone's heart? Well, he changed you, he changed me. You see, sometimes we limit God and we lose sight of the fact that he is able, he is powerful. He can do these things in our lives and there's nothing that our God cannot do. And so that leads us to kind of this question when the apostle says in verse 20, now to him who is able, he says to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, it kind of leads us to this question, how big is your God really? And when I ask you that question, I know that that's hard to answer because I mean, how do we kind of quantify or measure God's greatness? How could we ever wrap our minds around that. It, it seems impossible. In fact, we, we just talked about that we wanted to know the love of Christ that towards us is from high as the heavens and height and depth and width and length as we talked about last week in that beautiful picture that the ancient commentators saw as being a picture of the cross, that God's display of love towards us is just bigger than we can even conceptualize. How big is your God? Well, I'm going to tell you something I really believe. I think if we brought our preschoolers up here, and we brought you up here, we'd have a little bit of a difference in how big we think God is. I'm gonna come back to that in just a second. I want you to think about that. I'm gonna come back to that. How big's your God? Well, it might show up in what you pray for. Because the apostle says he's bigger than anything we could ask or imagine or think. So when we talk about those two things, He's talking about certainly our prayer lives there. And, and when we go before the Lord, we've talked about what it means to pray last week. And asking God involves what could be rationally expected of a person, right? I mean, so if, if I come to Kirk and I say, hey, do you think that you could come over this afternoon and help me? That's a rational ask. Because I know that unless he has something that he is going to prohibit him from doing that, he, he can come do that. I mean, there's, there's nothing that would keep him from doing it unless, you know, he's going to be out of town or he's already got a previous commitment or something. But that's not outside the realm of possibility. I didn't walk up to him and say, what's the cure for cancer? That's irrational. He, he, can't, he can't tell me that. I mean, he, he, he can't give me that, right? I mean, that, that's, that's beyond the scope of his ability to do something. So a lot of times I find that what happens, and this was really convicting for me this week as I was studying this, is when you start looking at what you're asking God for, a lot of the times you're asking God for very pedestrian things. Here's what I mean by that. God, bless our food. Okay. Is there any expectation in your mind that he won't? Probably not. 
Maybe it would show up like this. It would look differently if two families prayed about the same thing based on their situation. So, so maybe we have a family, family number one, we would say, and they're praying this week for a child that has a test at school. But they've studied for that test. They've worked really, really hard. They know the material and their child's gonna knock it out of the park, but they're praying, I'm just gonna pray this week that you'll remember everything. You won't be anxious, it'll be good. But that would be different, wouldn't it? If, if a family over here, family number two, was praying about the same test they had studied for and worked so hard for, but they know that their child has a learning disability, right? Because they're really praying that God's gonna show up in a, in a different way. One is kind of like, God, I, I know you're going to, but I just, we've done the work, just bless that. And one is, God, if you don't help us right here, every time we have one of these tests, we don't know what the outcome's gonna be. Help us, God. Do you see the difference? What have you been asking God for yesterday? Has it been all the just kind of pedestrian, rational stuff, just like, oh, God, if you would do this, give me health, give me a job, do that, do that. You know, all these things that you kind of just expect God to do. Have you been stretched enough in that? Because he says something crazy right here. He said, God is able to do beyond, or, or maybe your Bible translates it, it's a funny way. It says, infinitely more beyond, extremely more than what we could ask, exceedingly, abundantly beyond, some translations say. And what he's trying to get at here is he's trying to make a word up. It's a super superlative, basically, that he's trying to smash some words together to basically say, whatever you think about asking God, he can do more. So what might be some things that would limit in our lives, what God might do for us. Well, when we pray, there are some limitations. So you may say, well, I've, I've been asking God to do some things, but can I show you from scripture just a couple of the limitations that we see? Because we're told here, obviously, we can ask God to do anything, but we see this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21. Let me read this for you. It says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. So there's a limitation there, isn't it? It says we can receive these things if we ask God to do great things in our lives, if we're pleasing to God in the way that we're living and we're keeping his commands. So it, it would kind of be like this. Sometimes God isn't answering our prayers because there's a fellowship broken between us and the Lord. Think about it like this. You have a child at home and they say, I would like a new car when I turn 16. I want some wheels. And you say, great, we're gonna do that. But here's some expectations. You have to do your chores when you're home and you have to keep those grades up. And at the end of the year, you look around and you kind of evaluate and the grades are total Fs and they've totally kind of blown off school and not done anything and, and they haven't done the chores that you set out for them. And they come back to you and say, oh, I'm ready for that car. And you say, oh, no, you're not. We have a break in fellowship here. I'm not ready to answer that request right now. You're not, you're not obeying. Now, now, here's the thing about it. We all know that we can't obey, right? I mean, like, isn't that crazy? I mean, I know I can't. How can I? Only with the power of God working in me, right? It's Christ that helps us to do it. It's the Holy Spirit living in my life that enables me to do those things. But when there's a break in fellowship, my prayer life is hindered. It just absolutely is. There's a second kind of limitation on what we might ask God for. And it's a little harder to distinguish. Those seem a little easier. But in James 4, we read this. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You ever ask God for something and tried to spiritualize it? Right? 
And it's hard, isn't it? Because the heart is really deceitful. And that means your heart, my heart, it's deceitful. So we ask God for things like, God, if you do this, I'm going to use it for ministry. Right? God, if you just dump a million dollars in my lap, I'm going to use it for ministry. I'll feed kids around the world. I'll take a mission trip. I'll do. Well, I mean, really? Have you ever fed kids around the world when you didn't have the money? Have you ever taken that mission trip when you weren't loaded? I mean, you, right? The heart is a little tricky there. So sometimes we ask for things that we just want for ourselves, and God says, no. You just want it for your own pleasure. I'm not, I'm not into that. But we ask God for great things. And when we don't ask God for great things, oftentimes it's because we've started to believe that he can't really deliver on great things. We, we, just, we feel like that he's too small for that. So what have you asked God lately for? I mean, is it really that kind of pedestrian thing that you just expect to happen? I mean, it's, it's nothing crazy. It's, it's, not, it's not great. It's, it doesn't really require much of God because you've already gotten it done. Oh, God, just bless that. Or are you going before the Lord and asking him for things and he goes, oh man, I got that. I can do abundantly beyond that. You have no idea. I can knock that out of the park easy. That's so easy for me. And then he comes and he deals with the things that maybe we would say almost feel a little bit irrational. The imaginative, what you might think. Our conversation about the preschoolers a minute ago. If I bring them up here, who do you think's imagination is bigger, the preschoolers or yours? Preschoolers are great. You know what I love about preschoolers? They come and we teach them about Daniel in the lion's den and how God snatched Daniel and kept him safe. And we, we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fiery furnace and how there was a, a fourth man in there with them and none of the, the clothes that they had on were even singed. And we talk about David and Goliath and how David got this smooth stone and he slung it in his sling and he toppled this nine foot tall giant. And it was crazy. And all of those stories are true. And you go and teach them, but then you stop believing them imagination as we get older it starts to do like this when I was about four years old I invented my first superhero he was called motorcycle man and motorcycle man wore cowboy boots and shorts it's not really a good look but he's a superhero he can do what he wants and he wore a Lone Ranger mask. And he had a Bombardier's hat that he wore as well. The pictures are amazing. I should have brought one and shown it to you. You know, as a four-year-old, there was nothing motorcycle man couldn't do. He even had a motorcycle. It was a tricycle, but it didn't matter to motorcycle man. Because he could get the bad guys. He could go anywhere, right? Now, if you showed up here on a Saturday night, and I was wearing cowboy boots and shorts and a Lone Ranger mask and a Bombardier's hat riding around the parking lot saying that I was motorcycle man, you'd call the police and have me committed. And I might say, but I'm just exercising my imagination. It gets like this. You know, it's VBS week, and our little kids, they know this song. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Right? Sing it with me. Do you remember it, or do you, do you believe it? 
My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Failure on doing the hand motions. Let's go. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. There we go. Got a little clappy clap there too at the end. Now, you know what happens if we, our preschoolers come up here? You did it like this. You're like, my God is so big, so strong. You know what? Our pre- There's always one in every group of our preschoolers. There's one who's like, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God can, and he screams it, right? Because he believes it. What happens? And our concept of what God might be able to do starts to diminish. Have you ever thought about the fact that your imagination being limited means that you can't bring certain things to be, but God's imagination being infinite means that there's nothing that he cannot bring to be. He spoke the world into existence, created it in seven days. He made the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, just by speaking. He didn't need tools. He didn't need matter. He spoke it as the scripture says, out of nothing. Now, when we talk about that and we begin to understand it and we begin to think like that, does that not cause you to stop for just a second and say, maybe my prayer life is lacking just a little bit? Because when I've asked God for things, I'm only gonna ask him for the safe stuff. Like I'm only gonna ask him that kids come to VBS. I'm only gonna ask him, you know, that, that God really does something at my job with my boss who already likes me. I'm only gonna ask him for the safe stuff. And what Paul's saying here is that this God that we serve, he is able because he is able, because he is powerful, there's nothing that you can't stop right now and ask God to do inside the boundaries that we've already talked about that he's given us that God would be prohibited from doing, that he couldn't do. He's that big, that powerful. And when you think about that, it leads me to ask this question, why does God just get smaller in our minds then? There's a psalm that speaks to the relationship that Israel had with God and how he got smaller in their eyes. Psalm 81, in verse 10, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways. You know what started to happen to Israel is that at every turn, they started looking around trying to make cultural accommodations. We just want to be like everybody else. You know that one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament to me is when Israel, who has God himself as their king, says to the prophet, we want a king so we can be like everybody else. We want to we be like everybody else. We just want to be there. And, and what starts to happen is, 
I take my eyes away from the Lord and I say, like, I want to fit in. I, you know what? It is difficult not fitting in right now in the culture. Nobody likes to have the finger pointed at them and say, man, you're weird. Why don't you believe the right things? You're out of step. Why, why would you be that way? But I want to remind you that our calling is never to be culturally popular, but holy before the Lord. And when we lose sight of that, it's amazing that when you try to straddle the fence, you lose sight of the bigness of God because your concept just gets smaller and smaller and you're not looking for God to feed you anymore. You're looking for other things. It doesn't work. So where's your prayer life? Well, the apostle says because he's so big, then he's worthy. Look at this last verse. It says, this power that works according to the thing that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. When we talk about God receiving glory, we don't talk about the church receiving glory. We're not trying to build the name of this church. We're trying to build the name of the Lord. If we were to build a great church and no one knew that our name was Judson and no one outside of Nashville knew it, that'd be just fine. Let's build a great church that gives glory to God. It's a big difference. It's a subtle difference sometimes because remember the heart's deceitfully wicked, right? It's deceptive in how it, how it treats us. So it's subtle sometimes. But when the church acts like the church, God receives the glory. When the church bickers and complains and gossips and runs in and is unsatisfied with every little thing that happens, God receives no glory. But when the church, this group of people that smashed together from all different walks of life, from all different places, from all different races, all different socioeconomic statuses, when we're smashed together and we love the Lord and lift up his name and minister to those who are around us, guess what? God receives glory. Anytime God's receiving glory, it's a good thing. Then he says, in Christ Jesus, why does Jesus receive glory? Is the name above all names, the only name under heaven by which we are saved. This week, I have an expectation that there are going to be some things that happen. I expect that we'll have children give their hearts to Christ. I expect it. Years ago, I was listening to a uh, preacher on TV he was talking about prayer and he asked, you know, what are you expecting God to do in your prayer life as you're asking him for these big things? And he said, let me tell you something. If you ask God for Moby Dick, bring the tartar sauce. Get ready. God's about to do it. Get ready for what God's about to do. And I think sometimes we have stopped short of what God might be ready to do because our concept has just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And we've drifted a little bit away from what we think God might be able to do. So we stop praying for the lost. We stop praying for our city. We stop praying for our country because it's hopeless. God can't do anything about it. And that has nothing to do with God. It has to do with us. God is able. He can do it. We don't believe it. And so we wonder where the power is. Well, it's the power that works in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, he says, is alive in us. And as we pray and ask God to do these things, it's amazing that he starts to do it. You know, 
I think sometimes we just lose sight of that power. Can I ask you to roll back on a journey with me for just a second? Do you remember when you were saved? Could you go back to that place for just a moment? Remember what that felt like? You remember the release? I remember being so ready for that burden to be off my back. I was ready for church to end so that I could walk out of my seat and come take my pastor, who happened to be my father, by the hand and declare my faith in Christ. I don't remember much from being eight or nine years old. I remember a spanking I got in school. I remember things kind of not being great sometimes when I went to school and didn't have my homework done or studied for a test. I remember playing sports. But I remember the day I was saved like it was yesterday. I remember the day that I was baptized because just like this baptistry, we walked in from what is your right hand and came in and were baptized and we walked out, symbolizing, right, that we'd already come to faith in Christ. So on this side was representing our old life. As we walked out, it represented our new life in Christ. I remember that day. One of my friend's mothers got baptized on the same day. And it was customary as people got baptized, they just walked off and went back to the changing room. But our, our, our pastor, my dad at the time, he used these hankies when he baptized, so he didn't get water up your nose. You know, if you water shoot right up the nose, cause you sneezing and burning, all that kind of stuff. And I remember her standing there. This is a lady I'd spent time at her house. Her son was one of my friends. I'd spent the night over there, all those kind of things. And we were close. And I remember her standing, watching me being baptized with tears coming down her face. Now, that's the God that we serve. Not the God that we've placed in the box that's just so small. He really, God, if you could do anything, would you? Well, he can. He is able. And my prayer for us is that it would energize our prayer lives today. Folks, I was convicted by this because as I look back through my prayer list, I mean, it's just kind of plain old vanilla. I wasn't asking God for anything big. I wasn't daring to ask him. And I'm convicted that if we want to see God move in our church, let's ask him to do great things. Let's ask him and let's go to that imaginative place and ask God to help us dream about how to reach this city. Let's go and ask him to fill up these pews with people who are hungering and thirsting to know Jesus Christ. Let's ask him to bless this VBS in a way that we've never seen. Let's ask him to do that. And, and that's there for us to do and we give him praise for those things. Now, there's one prerequisite to prayer we haven't talked about. You know what it is? To pray to God Almighty, you have to go through his son. You have to have been saved by Jesus. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means that you recognize that in your life, there are sins, things that you have done. You've transgressed. You've stepped over the line that God has outlined for us. 
And then there are also sins that you would say like, man, I didn't even know that that was a sin. How would I, how would I have known that? I've never read the Bible. It's okay. You go before the Lord today and say, Lord, I know that I've messed up. There are things I have willfully done. And I'm certain, Lord, there are things I don't even know about today that I have sinned as well from your scripture. And I ask you today to forgive me. And I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He died on the cross for me. And I believe that he's the son of God who came and lived a sinless life, dying in my place, buried in a tomb, raised back to life by you, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You're raising me. And I place my faith in him. Save me today. The Bible says, any person that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the prerequisite to prayer. It starts there. It's a relational thing with us and God. And if you've never done that today, in just a few moments after our service, I'm gonna be standing right here. I want you to come talk to me. I'd love to let you know how you can know Jesus. He loves you, gave himself for you. And church, I challenge us today. Let's lean into this praise, knowing that we can ask God anything. Nothing's too big. Nothing that we could imagine would be outside of the scope of his ability to do it. And let's ask God for big things. Let's pray like we mean it for this city. Let's pray like we mean it for our country. Let's pray like we mean it for our church, for our children, our loved ones to be saved. Heavenly Father, we ask you today that you would move in our lives as we praise you for giving us power to pray, faith to pray, Lord, and that you would do a great work in our lives this morning. We pray for those who are close to salvation today and those who are far off from salvation. We believe the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can save the most wayward person, the reprobate, or the most moral person. And we ask you, God, to do your work today. Move in a mighty way in our city. God, we ask you for these big things. We believe it's not too late for our city to turn their hearts to you, our country to turn their hearts to you. God, it's not too late for you to change this world. We ask you to do it and make us part of it. We pray for the barriers that stand in front of us this morning, Lord, our personal barriers, that sin that we've just given into and said, we'll never get over it, Lord. It's a lie from the devil. And we pray that you would call us out on it today, Lord. And we ask you to give us power to defeat sin. We pray for our children, Lord, that they would know you and walk in your ways. We pray for our students, Father, that they would be a light on their campuses. God, we pray that you'd save someone today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.